The NBA season is heating up and Kevin O'Connor and Chris Vernon have got you covered on The Mismatch. They discuss all the news, the trends, and transactions happening around the league. They also offer their on-court analysis and occasionally get into heated debates. Check out The Mismatch on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. media consumers brian curtis and david shoemaker here along with erica cervantes we david need to start with the naomi osaka story which has kind of been the biggest story in sports and the biggest story in media and maybe the biggest story of stories over the last 48 hours Mm -hmm. let's set it up if you have not followed along with this Naomi Osaka is one of the best tennis players in the world, 23 years old. She made $55 million last year, the highest earning female athlete in the world. She goes to the French Open last week and she announces before the tennis begins, I'm not going to be doing any interviews, any press during the tournament, which at the French Open effectively means after I play a match, I'm not going to hold a press conference and answer questions about the match I just played. That caused a lot of controversy. The French Open officials, as soon as she skipped one of those press conferences, started making threats, which we can talk about in just a minute. Naomi Osaka wound up leaving the tournament, pulling out. She is not playing at all and walks away. Where where do we start with this story, David? Uh, first of all, we should start by saying you wrote a fantastic piece about the, the subject on TheRinger.com. Um, You're very nice. We'll be referencing the piece, and everyone listening should go check it out. Um, I think that you hit on in your piece, um, both directly and indirectly. So what I think is at the core of this, which is it sort of, um, it feels like the, 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 the questions and the answers here are relatively straightforward and that you're, and that you have to kind of work to, to really find the areas of great controversy or irritation or anything else. Now, now the fact that, I mean, it, this shouldn't come as any great surprise. And let, let me just take a step, sidestep to say what you write about in your piece, which is uh, should, as a general rule, should athletes be under some level of obligation to speak to the media post-game whenever? It's qualified, yes. I think most people would agree on that. And should Naomi Osaka have been forced to do media at the French Open this year? Uh, no. I mean, I think, you know, it's it, given uh, her rationale, but just sort of in general... Um, is this really a conversation we need to be having? No. Now, when, when, well, as we've discussed, as we've been over a billion times on this show, when common sense, you know, rubs up against an institution of any age or significant size, 
um, th- it doesn't always. It, it, those two things don't always go really well together. Um, tradition, <laughs> common, common sense, and a tennis tournament. Yes, yeah. A I mean, venerable the, the tennis level, tournament. The level of tradition that's built into these things in the worst possible way, it, it, you know, makes it difficult to have sort of level-headed conversations. But you said it was it, it created a controversy, and I don't know if it's worth inv- invocating the Streisand effect or whatever other like socio uh, sociological situation this might be. But like if if they had just said, okay, when she said, I don't want to do media, we wouldn't be having this conversation, right? I mean, it would not have merited a segment on first take. It wouldn't have merited a segment on Get Up, probably, even though they have so much more time to fill. Like, I just feel like it would have been like, if anyone even noticed, it would have been, you know, just a passing comment about it, right? What if they had even just kept a piece of paper on the desk of whoever runs the French Open and said, oh, she skipped uh, one press conference. That's fifteen thousand dollar fine. Uh, second press conference, fifteen thousand dollar. Third press conference until she's eliminated from the tournament or wins the tournament. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, we just hand her a bill or subtract that from her winnings or whatever we do. Yeah, this is a woman who made fifty five million dollars last year. She admitted in her first tweet in this that she was going to be. She knew she was going to be fined. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And that was just well, you've decided. Okay, that's it. You're right. It wouldn't have been a big deal. But but here are the two things that made it a really big deal. And I think we should deal with the Osaka part of the story first before we get into kind of that larger issue of should athletes sure. be compelled to speak. In her very first tweet about the subject last Wednesday, she referenced this idea that these post-match press conferences are not just strange and a little stilted. There is actually possibly a mental health aspect to them. She didn't directly connect that to herself, but I think if you read that, you could probably read that and say, hey, something is going on here. When Mm -hmm. she left the tournament, she specifically joined those two things. She says she gets, quote, huge waves of anxiety when she's talking to reporters after matches. She also revealed that she has coped with depression since 2018. Okay. The French Open officials, when you hear the words mental health, Isn't that the point? Whatever your media policy is, you just go, you know what? We're going to give you some space. We're going to, we're going to back off. We're going to give you some space. Whatever our interest is here, whatever we're dealing with, we can do deal with that at some other point down the road. We can have a conversation. We can figure it out, but surely that is the first priority. When you hear those two words from an athlete that you are featuring in your tennis tournament. Yes. For for one thing, I think that I mean, what you could have just said there is who, an athlete who is your partner in this tennis tournament. But I get I, I'm sure that's not the way that the French Open officials see it. Um, and you're right. That's absolutely the way that you one should respond. Right. I mean, even if you were going to take the most draconian stance and I'm not even I'm sorry, that has a negative connotation. But like even if, yeah, it was fifteen thousand dollars or more like like, oh, well, it's a percentage of the purse that we're taking, whatever. You can handle it behind the scenes, and I guarantee it's not going to set up your worries, your concerns about precedent go out the window because I guarantee all the other players on the in the tournament are going to be aware, you know, behind the scenes of how much money she was fine, right? I mean, it's this isn't, it's not going to just, no one's going to be mistaken that she got some special treatment. Now, maybe you don't have to turn it into a PR issue, which is at the core of this whole thing, the sort of the you know the 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 PR aspect and the way that it affects mental health. And I think that, that, I mean, you don't have to be, you don't have to do any mental gymnastics to imagine that if this were a death in the family 
or hey, take we can push it for. I mean, I don't. We don't need to get too, you know, yeah. too too controversial, too too confrontational about this. But if it were a death in the family and it had been, uh, you know, an established white male star who just lost his father or something, I don't think that you have to. The mental gymnastics aren't too difficult to see that, like, you know, the officials would have taken would have taken pity on the athlete in a different way. Right. Like there are some there are certainly exceptions to every rule that you have as a human being. And if you and if there are any exceptions, Lord, this should have been one. I mean, it's just it's just so obvious. Yeah. And the French Open officials didn't back off. They didn't give space. What they did, David, was they threatened to kick Naomi Osaka out of the tournament. They also dangled this idea that she would be suspended from future Grand Slam tournaments if she did not give the press conferences after the matches. As you're saying this, by the way, I just, I'm just chiming in to say, as I was only superficially following this story at the beginning, this was the most shocking fact to get to when I, when I kind of got into the weeds on it. And not really in the weeds, it's part of the whole narrative. But like, like I could imagine this blowing up from a, just from the press releases we had seen, but the idea that they were threatening this sort of punishment over such a thing, like it, that is, it is, frankly just shocking even if it's just a discussion I, I i completely agree and when i went back over the clips of the story as i started to try to write this column yesterday i was amazed that that wasn't the headline mm-hmm. you are threatening to kick now maybe they they saw that as an idle threat and that is as a way of you know trying to negotiate with her but you were saying you're going to kick one of the biggest tennis stars in the world out of your tennis tournament that that's an idea we've been through this in the nfl marshawn lynch of the super bowl Six years mm-hmm. ago, I remember I was there with Robert Mays and Bill Barnwell. I went to one of those press conferences. He was not <laughs> you know, cooperating, let us say, in the spirit of Super Bowl Media Week. There was no sense that Roger Goodell was going to say, you don't get to play in the Super Bowl if you don't talk to the reporters. Well, it happened you know, to a much lesser degree with Russell Westbrook uh, in post-game interviews for a while. Kyrie Irving, you mentioned in your piece. I don't think that there was... I mean, I think if anything, the consensus has shifted in the aftermath to we as just a on like an onlooking media were too hard on them. Right. We like, we made it, it, you almost, you make it into too much of a sport to even comment on it half the time. And, um, and you're right. We saw it with Marshawn Lynch. It's, but it's never an issue of, of, like you said, of, of removing the ability to, for what, from one to play the game. Exactly. If, if somebody wants to, if somebody, I mean, like you make whatever rules you want, but if somebody chooses to, play and win at professional tennis and never do a press conference. And so, and so they implicitly agree to forfeit half of their career earnings or something. I feel like that's a, that's a decision that like a, an adult human being can make and, and abide by. It's absolutely insane to think that your willingness to talk to the press is linked to your ability to take the court or the field. And again, when the French Open made that threat, and they and they put it in writing, this was this was not sources say. There is a press release that you can link to, uh, go to on the web. That should have been the headline here. Mm-hmm. Are you crazy? Are you out of your mind? Yeah, you're right. Kyrie Irving hasn't done media a couple times this year. Adam Silver wasn't like you can't play in the playoffs. That is so stupid. And I say this as somebody who is such an advocate for reporters being able to talk to athletes and reporters having the ability to go gather news and not be stopped by teams in their tracks for doing that. I hope I stand up for that whenever I see that happening. I would never even 
I, I take probably one of the more radical approaches in terms of transparency and openness and opportunity for reporters and sports. I would never say that if you blow us off, you don't get to play. That's no, just, that because is just complete. The, that's just so over the top and despite, ridiculous. And, well, and despite the fact that you know future future star athletes are getting media training at a younger and younger age, there's nobody in the world that would ever make the case that the success that Michael Jordan or LeBron James or, or whoever else, or, or Serena Williams, or, or, you know, n- name your star athlete, that that success was even remotely based upon their media presence or their media skills. Now people always say one goes with the other and th- they were bigger stars because of their media presence. You're but, saying their success on the court, their athletic success is not connected to their media. It's presence. so, it's so irrational. I can't even form the sentence. Right. I mean, it's like, like nobody, nobody would, nobody would say this. Right. And, no. and, and, and in fact, people would make the, I mean, you know, you know, there are a lot of people who in these instances and many others will say that, well, that's why you get paid the big bucks. Right. I mean, like, it's really easy to take an anti-athlete stance whenever you want to, just by saying like, Hey, you know, if I was getting paid $15 million a year, you know, it, I, I would, I would get, I would talk to every, every reporter in the world, like whatever. But it's like, no, when you, when people make that case, you're implicitly connecting it to, to you know, the off the field earnings and that and 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 all the money you can make because of your celebrity, right? Now you, I mean, whether or not you owe something to the sport, I guess, is a more ephemeral question. But you don't need to be Muhammad Ali on the microphone to be the heavyweight champion of the world. You know, it's just it's it's and it's irrational to even like try to connect those even even tangentially. I know. And I feel I feel like the incredulity in our voices is not because we disagree with this idea, because this idea is not an idea that anybody else has, as far as I can tell. I've never heard yeah. a reporter express this idea. Like the French Open officials are standing up for a kind of availability to the press that, as far as I can tell, no tennis reporter is standing up for. <laughs> no, Nobody thinks, well, you know what? If she doesn't talk to us, she shouldn't be able to play. I've never heard anybody say that. No. And yet somehow they're doing this on behalf of A, the press, and B, really their own content. But And that's a super important thing to point out because those tiny distinctions always get lost in these, in these conversations, in these arguments, these disputes, whatever you want to say. What we're arguing about is a thing that nobody has ever said. And there are reporters who will get on Twitter and will complain loudly about their right to interview athletes and on and on and on. Nobody is saying that they should literally nobody is saying you shouldn't be allowed to play your sport if you don't get in front of me and and, nobody. and answer my boring questions. Except the heads of four different international tennis federations. Mm-hmm. Those are the people who decided that this was the line in the sand after she missed one press conference. That that is where they went to. You know, they ratcheted this up to a ridiculous place. And I think, and again, that that's why I wanted to talk about the Osaka part of it first, because I think it involves two things that are pretty unique to the situation. Mental health, which we both agree is a moment where you should give athletes and anybody else a very wide, a lot of space. You should be as accommodating as possible. You should try to work things out and B that you are a threat that in this case, the French open officials and other officials are threatening to take her out of tennis. If she doesn't talk to the media, those seem pretty unique to this. Can we spend a a little time on the venue that athletes like Osaka and let's say LeBron James and other people talk to the press now after games, which is a big interview room and a podium. Mm-hmm. Once you get to the big levels of sports, it's not like a thing in the locker room where you're you know, thrusting a recorder in somebody's face and there's a couple of reporters standing around like Tuesday night in January in Cleveland. 
Mm-hmm. There are huge crowds of media. And you have these very big stilted performances, David, that are not only in a large room, but they're also broadcast to television and the internet and everything else immediately when they happen. What do we think about these sort of interview settings? Um, I mean, we're all so used to them that it's kind of hard to, you know, shake yourself into cognizance to really to, to really think about it. But I think that one's reaction to them probably has a lot to do with their own sort of psyche. Um, people experience anxieties and stage frights and whatever else in very different ways. You know, I mean, it's a very personal sort of reaction system. And 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 I think that I've definitely seen pictures of athletes on podiums, athletes in front of throngs of reporters. By the way, can we put throng in the official <laughs> press release? I mean, press box glossary of thing that yes. is only used in one sense. Mm-hmm. Um, only in journalism, never in real life. A throng of reporters. Yeah. Uh, I've seen athletes in front of throngs of reporters. You see those like pictures from like the eighties or nineties, whatever, like Michael Jordan getting out of a limo or like, or getting off the team bus and, and, and just the, or like the dream team with like 9 trillion cameras around them. And you're yeah. like, I don't, I couldn't make that walk. Like, I don't know how they get from the bus <laughs> to the hotel. That's, I mean, I would be paralyzed. Um, yeah, there's so, so sometimes you do, if, if you, if you zoom out, it can seem really kind of wild, especially when, uh, when you consider sort of the transition of, I mean, I went on a date with my wife last night and we got halfway to the restaurant before I was just like, I'm sorry, I haven't like taken a breath and left work mode yet. Like I have, you know, I haven't like switched gears. Um, the idea of switching gears between like playing a basketball game or an athletic contest that will define your legacy and then going through the showers and emerging on the other side in front of like 200 reporters who were shouting questions at you. I mean, that's a huge transition. That's a huge, that's like, that would, that could give somebody a mental break, even if they were prepared for it. Right. And it's a, you know, it's, it's a, it it seems so commonplace and in some sense it is, like I said, people have been doing this for since they're kids, some of these people and and have been seeing it happening on TV, happen on TV their entire lives. And it's been going on forever. But, um, but to like, think that it's impossible that someone would be affected by that negatively affected or, or intimately affected or whatever else it's ridiculous of course i mean like that's a, that that's if you had a coworker who said oh, I, I can't speak in front of this these people or you know my i can't speak at this this uh, conference or whatever you would you would you would immediately understand and help them and like work with them to figure out a way to get them from uh, out of having to do that the idea that like our the professional athletes should be immune to that because of their success or their their bank account or something is it's ridiculous. When you were talking about going out to dinner with your wife, I thought you were just going to say you guys got out of the car and there were like ten photographers <laughs> in the Chili's parking lot waiting to take pictures of you as you walked into dinner, get some Southwest egg rolls. <laughs> like, that would have been are funny. You fr- are you, are you fr- the Masked Man show? Is that you? <laughs> yeah, no. That <laughs> um, the other thing about those press conferences, in addition to which you say absolutely, which is the weirdest thing in the world is you have like one of the greatest moments of your professional life or one of the worst moments of your professional life. And then you sit in front of a press conference to talk to people about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't we don't get to interview the losing presidential candidate usually like seconds after they call the race. Dude, imagine if imagine if you had to go give an interview after your after your next like uh, like like performance review. You know, then <laughs> like like it's like, hey, when Wait, you go what, to what a, are you saying? What do you, what you, do you go, know you, that I don't? Yeah. What if you go into a meeting where you're like, I know that I'm going to find out what my new salary is in this meeting. And then as you walk out the door, for better or worse, someone's <laughs> just like, Richard Deitch is just standing there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah. 
Brian, welcome to the press box. Oh no, no, you're not hosting this week. Oh man, <laughs> we got to break some news. Yeah, it was a, uh, it was tough. You know, I'm, I'm not going to pretend I'm happy. I'm not going to pretend <laughs> I'm happy. Just got to work harder. That's all we can do. Work harder next year. Write better press columns. Uh, do a better podcast. Uh, and just let I'm let things take care of themselves. Uh, David, that's that's what I would say. No, <laughs> it is it is totally weird, but. This is what we have to do. Sports have gotten so big that the only way to do it is in a giant podium setting like that. You know, that I was funny because I saw one of the comments. Somebody's like, can't we do this a better way? Meaning more sensitively for the for the athletes. I said, this is the this is the sensitive way, Mm -hmm. because before, at least in American sports, everybody was crowded around a locker and there were way too many reporters. So reporters mm-hmm. barely could get your recording device in there. You couldn't ask a question. And the athlete felt like they were going to get squashed in their locker, you know, right on top of their street clothes and their bottle of Gatorade. Like that, that mm-hmm. was the, the, that was bad. So then we put it in these podium settings and we also, and I think this is crucial to understanding this made this into content that exists separately from the sport itself. Uh-huh. It's not just a reaction to the sport. It is officially the post-game show. Yeah. It is the late night entertainment. Up, oh, uh, Scott Van Pelt here. Oh, let's LeBron's on the microphone. Can we can we take LeBron right here and, and go to LeBron? And all of a sudden, it's not just LeBron James, it's Dan Wykey of the LA Times on TV. Bill mm-hmm. Oram of the Athletic. All those guys are going, oh, wait, I now I am part of this weird television program. Yeah. That is happening now. I would I would I would uh, argue that the ability to ask a question in that setting is better than the ability not to ask a question at all. It's a little bit like I almost called it like the White House press conference, and I realized I'd use that analogy like eight times already in pieces. It's mm-hmm. like the White House press conference. That is a kind of a ridiculous thing. It's very formal. It's it's on television. It's all you know. It's so stilted and, and it, that it hurts. But that is better than not being able to ask the White House a question. You know, there is some, there is something about it that is useful from a reporting standpoint. It's also something that people complain about when it doesn't go off, right? I mean, like people are monitored every White House's number of press conferences and time since the last press conference and everything yeah. else. So there is, so that's that is a thing. But yeah, I mean, it's it's ridiculous, but you can definitely argue for its necessity. I don't think anybody would argue nece- Well, I don't think that's what we're not here to argue against it. No necessity, but but as reporting. Which you and I are interested in it, like, because we want the reporters, we like to be able to talk to the players and the coaches and find out what happened. Or, as I think the leagues and the French Open sees it, necessity as content mm-hmm. and advertising. I was listening, there was like a sports radio show I listened to that was talking about, you know, what, sh- what should we do about these interviews? I'm like, every sports radio update segment, you know, that happens in the middle of the, at the, every 15 minutes has uh-huh. sound from these press conferences. Here's yeah. LeBron after they lost to the Suns last night. Rah, 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 rah. Like everybody is just dipping their bucket into this content well every day. Uh-huh. Everybody says, well, these interviews are terrible. You're using sound from it like crazy on again on everything. Sports Center, NBA TV, sports radio, everything. Mm-hmm. So again, it's like when we talk about the French, why is the French Open interested in this? Do they want journalists to cover the French Open? Yes. They Do they want journalists to have an opportunity to talk to the players? Yes. But I think what they also want is they see that as kind of like the extra match. There's the match on the court, and then there's this match. Mm-hmm. This is your bonus track. The Serena Williams press conference afterwards. Sure. Uh, that's, uh, that, that is 
definitely true. Um, and yeah, there is a there is a hypothetical worst case scenario where, man, if everybody refused to do it, then how is anyone going to even know the French Open's taking place, right? I mean, that must be <laughs> the alarm that's going off in their head because, yeah. I mean, maybe that's that's the question I asked at the beginning of the segment, and maybe it's the pertinent one. As like if we if if they hadn't come down on her, nobody would be talking about it right now, right? Nobody would it would not be a news story that she stepped that she decided that she declined to media, um, in and of itself. But maybe that's the point. Maybe that's it. maybe they realize that if that if people don't do media, then nobody actually cares. They just don't cover it, right? And that and that's and that's the deeper concern. I don't. I find that it's not irrational, but it's a little bit like if we're at a point now where the only way you can conceive of promoting your legendary event is by recording repetitive, boring sound bites from the stars and you know bicycling them around to all the different sports networks. You, you might try thinking of some other ideas too. I mean, it's not, that's just sort of such like, such, you know, just closure of the mind or you know conceptual. I mean, just the lack of conceptual thinking. But but that's probably what it is, right? Let's leave it hanging, David. What what Rosillo and Bill would call a greenie tease. While we do the overworked Twitter joke of the week, where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious. That all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. Send your nominees to at the press box pod where they are always gratefully received. Elsewhere in the world of sports, David, the Portland Trailblazers, Dame Lillard, hit three pointers to propel his team into overtime last night and double overtime. And then his teammates completely threw away the game <laughs> in double OT. Lots of uh, good jokes here, including from some of our friends. Uh, Damien wrote War and Peace. And his friends picked it up and they were like, hey, check this out. And then tossed it in the fireplace. Uh, Dame painted the Sistine Chapel and his crew power washed it. And I like this one. Dame's teammates must love his music because they seem to want the most studio time for impossible. <laughs> Thanks to Aaron McDade for those. Uh, David, we're in the stage of the coronavirus where there's lots of good news out in the world. I read the uh, little New York Times daily email today. It was talking about all the good news about the coronavirus. The weird side effect of that is that people are now angry because they can't just do absolutely everything they did before the coronavirus. Right. They want to go from, hey, we're 60% back to we're 150% back. Take, for instance, this tweet from Naomi Wolf. The terrible, terrible sound of a three-year-old pleading on a plane about to take off for their parents to unmask them. I won't do it. I don't want it. Daddy. It was an overworked Twitter joke to note that this sounds like every kid when you ask them to do anything. <laughs> Thanks to Especially the on an airplane. Yes. Oh, whoa, that's the big one, right? Especially when other people are like looking right at you. Yeah. Thanks to the ringers, Katie Baker, for that one. And David, just as we're getting ready to record this morning, former president Donald Trump shut down his blog. The blog only began on May 4th. But the blog will, quote, not be returning, according to aide Jason Miller. A couple of very good jokes about this. Uh, the blog era is truly over. <laughs> I thought my blog posting was erratic. Trump was mad he didn't make the Technorati top 100. And I like this one. Trump giving up on his blog after a few weeks is just pandering to millennials. <laughs> Thanks to Tim Curtis. If your Substack outlasted Trump's blog, congrats. You made the overworked Twitter joke of the week. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. 
You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay, returning to Naomi Osaka, the French Open and press conferences generally. You're right. It is insane to think that if you just canceled all these, people wouldn't watch it. So the question is, how did we get to this spot where athletes are compelled to show up mm-hmm. after tennis matches, after big NBA games? Well, sports writing has this weird cutout, right? That exists, as far as I can tell, in just about no other part of life. Like we pay the salaries of United States senators, but they're not required to stop and talk to Manu Raju in the hallways of the U.S. Capitol when he asks them a question. Mm-hmm. They can just keep walking. Yeah. They're not going to get fined by the Senate parliamentarian if they don't take a question. Um, that doesn't happen in entertainment. You know, somebody was talking about, oh, well, they're junkets and things, and, you know, actors do that. Yeah, but the actor's not going to be, you know, maybe the actor signs up when they do a movie. They're going to do a hit on Colbert and they're going to do this and they're that. I guess there's some kind of vague parallel there. But there's not nearly the access to the big stars that sports has. No, I mean, when we when we see, uh, you know, once every couple of years, there'll be some celebrity who sort of says out loud that this is the part of the job they hate when they're on a show or doing an interview or something. And it becomes a little news cycle in and of itself. But it's a different it, it is it is definitely a, a different level of, of access, um, especially for those in the, the I mean, if, if, we, if you want to take the sort of disingenuous, this is why you make the big bucks argument, especially for the celebrities in the highest uh, tax brackets, I, 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 they can they negotiate their press availability as part of the contract. And so they know what they, they actually literally know what they're signing up for. Yeah, I mean, it's so funny, too, because I saw people on Twitter when this whole story came out that said. What's the reason for compelling athletes to do this? Like, like, forget all the fact that it's actually kind of in their collective bargaining agreements or it's in the rules of the tennis tournaments. When they go to the mm-hmm. tennis tournaments, you're going to do something. Why do we do this? Like, generally speaking, why do we compel this one person in society to talk to us more than we compel Joe Biden to talk to us? Mm-hmm. And I go, I don't really know the answer to that. I don't. Like, I don't, I don't know why... LeBron has a special rule for him that, and that rule is made for no one else in American life or life anywhere. It's just, it's very, very odd. Journalistically, it's happy because there's a level of, I don't know if accountability is exactly the right word, but there's certainly a level of availability to these big newsmaking celebrities that exist nowhere else. But like, why does that happen? Why at some moral level do we require that out of famous people famous athletes i don't know do you have a do you have an answer for that 
I feel like there's a really obvious answer that I'm probably missing, but to me, the uh, the most uh, the easiest answer just seems to be that um, it was proven to be successful in terms of PR. I mean, that like when 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 you know when when the times were simpler and and journalists were tasked with tagging along with athletes and and writing about them. I mean, that was how people that that was how the sports grew, and awareness of the sports grew. And and um, as athletes and I think as athletes gained more you know an increasing amount of volition you know in it within the sports i think that it probably became started to become mandatory specifically because the athletes because we were steering towards a world in which an athlete had the ability to say no right had the had the power to say no and so it becomes codified as a sort of preemptory measure i mean that's what i would guess um but uh, who there's probably a lot of other factors too yeah, and of course that time and that availability has shrunk a ton over the decades. Mm-hmm. Athletes are less available now than they were, but they're still way more available than just about anybody else. And listen, when when athletes do have power, I mean, when they negotiate their collective bargaining agreements and agree, you know, they sign many contracts along the way. I mean, there 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 is there is volition still in the athletes' hands, but. This sort of media availability, given that it's sort of a norm, it's it's a lot more palatable in the abstract, right? I mean, it's like nobody's when you're signing the contract, it's a lot easier to say yes to date to you know game night media availability when there's a dollar figure next to it or when it's a term of when, when it's part of the negotiation um, than it is on a day to day basis. And I think that's a normal human thing to actually have a psychological or human reaction to having to do this in real time is different than the way you feel sort of. You know, I mean, if if if, if someone said we, they want the press box to go do a round of interviews, we'd say, OK, that doesn't mean I'd be hyped to do every one. You know, I'd probably be <laughs> I'd probably be trying to bail out of half of them as they went. You know, it's just a normal reaction. Yeah. And the thing is, you have to show up, but you don't have to be great. You don't have to you don't have to give up anything if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. You know, an athlete is not required. You know, LeBron didn't have to come out after losing to the Suns the other night and go before the press and go, I had the weirdest dream last night. Can I tell you about it in some detail? Because I think it's symbolic to how my team played tonight. Like He's not going to say that. He can if he wants to, but he doesn't have to. So it's just actually standing there for X number of minutes or X number of questions. Sometimes you're going to be really forthcoming. Sometimes you're never going to be forthcoming. Some athletes are never forthcoming. But what they're requiring is for you to stand there journalistically it's fantastic that seems obvious but how many times have you heard people that don't have to go into locker rooms and talk to people bag on that and by the way including yours truly look Mm -hmm. at that question they asked this is so you know this this is so weird this seems so stilted i don't think people like you and i have any idea of the amount of information that people get out of those interviews after every game when they're the beat writer whose job it is to bring information about those athletes to us. No, I saw a lot about that during the Osaka. I mean, during the you know, kind of beginning of this news cycle, right? That people were just like, I don't know, like why, non-sports journalists, like why would you ever be put in the position of having to respond to somebody? And yeah, I mean, it's just, it is something that the sports world is more accustomed to and it's, and it's, it is weird. Um, but I don't think anyone's, again, no one's advocating that athletes should, never have to speak to the media or you know ever never be put in a position of of uh of you know opening up but but it's and this just feels like such an outlier of a case that to be treated that for it to be treated like it it threatens an institution 
uh, is just so disingenuous or, I mean, and it really, and it misses the point so severely that it, that it's like, why would you be like, it, it, it does, it does reframe the entire argument. Right. I mean, it's really easy to say it's really, I mean, this is a conversation that people can disagree on politely most of the time, but like, you know, the French open officials just <laughs> made it, made it almost impossible to have because they're just being so ridiculous. And in terms of endangering a tradition, whether we're talking about a soccer, just generally, I've thought that this tradition would become outdated at any moment. Mm-hmm. I really did. I, in fact, I sent a note to fantasy right at the beginning of the postseason when Kyrie Irving had just been fined for mm-hmm. not talking to the media again. I think he got fined $35,000. And I said something like this. I said, I wonder if we're at the end of this, that somebody like Kyrie Irving, now this is not going to be every player in the league, but somebody like Kyrie Irving is going to say, look, the fine I just got is one one thousandth of the salary I'm being paid by the Nets this year. Never mm-hmm. mind my endorsements. I don't want to talk to the media for my own reasons, whatever they are. So I'm going to pay all the fines and I'm just not going to do it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to show up to the podium. Why, why, you know, if I, I can, it's like, I can afford it. I can afford not, if I don't like this, I can take it out of my life and I can afford it. Mm-hmm. Here's the weird thing. That hasn't happened yet. Yeah. And maybe it will in a couple of years, but Kyrie Irving in the postseason is back to talking to the media after games. He was the other night. I mean, I think that I think there's probably a practical aspect to which the uh, where there's either a unwritten rule or just the potential of an unwritten rule where there's sort of like a repeater tax situation, right? I mean, we're like you know the football team has to get under the uh, I mean, has to get under the or a basketball team has to get under the tax every couple of years. Or the tax goes way up. The penalty they pay gets way. I, I there were the, the more you do it, the idea is that you'd pay more and more until it would be an unpalatable sum of money. And you kind of play the game so that you don't get into you don't have to have that conversation. Then again, this is all just made as pure conjecture. But I would assume that there'd be a little bit of a that'd be part of the decision-making process, right? Because as soon as Kyrie or anybody else says, I'm never doing it and brings a Halliburton with one year's penalties in cash, you know, and just says like, here you go world. That's when people probably sit down and start making, you know, start codifying the rules even more strictly, you know, but again, maybe maybe maybe, so, maybe so, but what are they going to do? Just make the fines go up. Then they're going to go full French open and say, you can't play in the NBA. Mm Mm-hmm. No, and they can't say that. So you're right. They can't say that. I agree, though, with what you said, where it's easier to do it and just kind of coast your way through it sometimes, I think, than fight that fight. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're like, I I really don't want to do this. And if I don't, I'm going to have people slamming me and attacking me. And I'm going to have Adam Silver fining me. Even if that's a low level headache, that may be a bigger headache than me just going out and talking to the media for that. And saying no comment or I are giving a really short answer. Or I don't want to talk about it because if you do mm-hmm. that, you've satisfied the requirement. You didn't have to go out and say anything. You just had to go out there and talk to them. Yeah. So, and I think that's part of it. And I think the other part you meant was when you talk about unwritten rules, let me spin that a different way. I think it's sort of become a norm in a way more than a rule. Like, are we, is the NBA really going to threaten Kevin Durant? for not coming out and talking to the media if he were to skip those stuff this week. No. Kevin Durant doesn't doesn't need that. Kevin Durant doesn't need reporters at this point. He doesn't need anything. But everybody in the NBA has gotten into this rhythm over many, many years where it's like, okay, I play a game, I talk to the press. That it just kind of becomes this norm of a sense. Okay, this is what I do. I play the game and I talk to the press. And then after shoot-arounds, the press wants to talk to me, I talk to them too. 
talk a couple times in training camp mm-hmm. and you just sort of start doing it. And the thing that's kind of causing players to come out is yes, the rules and yes, the threat of a fine or something like that, but also just this idea that this is how it works in sports. And this is part of, this is part of what I do. And I think that's, I think that's powerful too. Uh, just by tradition, if nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and there are, there are going to be athletes that are eager to speak to the press um, sure. at every opportunity. So it's not that cuts both ways, I guess, but you're right. I mean, it is a norm and, and um, yeah, I mean, it, but it, it just doesn't feel like <sighs> I'm glad we had this talk. I just, I just like it, but, but it has to come. <laughs> you it, never it, it, said it, that to me before. It just, no, it feels like we circle back around to Naomi Osaka and, and it's just, like we like we started with, it's just so self evident the situation, you know. And to be, to be, I think it's I think it's almost it it speaks to a lot of just the landscape of the sports world we live in. And obviously, tennis is a much different institution than basketball or football, you know, that we pay attention to on a kind of more daily basis. But but just the the, the level of reaction from the French Open the sort of the style of reaction, the tenor of the reaction in a world where the athletes have all the power or have an increasing amount of power. Tennis, again, is not exactly the same as basketball or anything like that. It's just, I mean, it, it, it just feels like everything. I mean, like, like everything that's wrong with sports you know, is just right there in front of you. Um, to, 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 to be, to take that stance, it just, you just seem like, just like, well, I mean, you seem like angry old men, you know, like it's not it's it's just it's it's it would be laughable if it wasn't so potentially damaging to the athletes and to the sport itself. Is it time for David Shoemaker guesses the strain pun headline? Why? Sure. Let's stay on the theme of sports because Thursday's headline, David, about the Knicks tying their playoff series against the Hawks was Garden of Even. Now, things have not gone so well for the Knicks since that strain pun headline. Ryan J. Lowe and Jose Bouquet and Cade Stone sent in the headline from the New York Post after the Knicks lost games three and four at Atlanta State Farm Arena. Okay. It was one game to one game after they played in the in Madison Square Garden. Then they went down to State Farm Arena and lost games three and four. Now the Hawks lead the series three to one. State Farm Arena. <laughs> that is your friend here. What was the New York Post strain pun headline? state of play state of state of affair uh is it is state um mm, what if what state if we farm with, mm-hmm. is it farm or state farm what am i looking oh, at like like state, state, state farm what are those state farm commercials um Ooh, what's a lovable I, character uh in those state farm commercials which who's this? Who? Which one is State Farm? Is that Chris Paul? That's is Chris that, Paul. That, yeah, uh, um, but not Chris Paul. The other guy. Oh dang! I have. I don't even know. remember. Sure. He's like standing next to Chris Paul in all those commercials. Sometimes he's in the house with Chris Paul. It's Jake from State Farm. Oh yeah, Jake from State Farm. Okay. So the yeah. headline is um, uh, fake. Take take. Uh, I mean, the Knicks effort that was pathetic. Man, that was they didn't even show up. <laughs> Junk from State Farm. Oh, getting there. Uh, j- uh, j- 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 uh, Jake from State Farm, but j- Joe. Joe. Joke from State Farm? Joke from State Farm. 
Oh, that took me way too long, and it was, but it was. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. I'm not gonna just be mad at it. In like three years, if we're in the microfilm, we're gonna be like, "What was Jake from State Farm or joke from State Farm? What's what's that a pun on?" I don't know if Jake from State Farm will quite go down like the, uh, like the like '80s legends. Uh, the where's the beef lady? But uh, we will see. He is <laughs> David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Production magic by Erica Cervantes. We are back this Friday. More lukewarm takes about the media. See you then, David. See you later, Brian.